Sunday, February the 12th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. I love what Claire was saying last week about the way that God longs to meet with us and the way that an encounter with God changes us. Encounters are really important in our lives, aren't they? When we encounter people, encounter situations and circumstances, often an encounter changes us. How much more so, this is where we were last week, how much more so when we encounter God does it change us? And I guess there's a posture that we need to adopt in the whole of this conversation that we've been talking about in Feasting February uh, this week and uh, last week is a, a willingness to allow God to change us. Because we know that the closer we get, the more we encounter, the deeper that experience, the more we will change. In fact, that's what prayer is, isn't it? It's an invitation into God's heart with the certainty that meeting with God will change us. You know, uh, when you've gone through uh, a particular experience and you go back to somebody else, they can see that something has happened. Someone might say, goodness me, you look like you've seen a ghost. Goodness me, you look like you've had a fright. What's happened to you? There's something different about what's going on for you. That's the kind of thing that encounters do in our lives. They change us. How much more so when that encounter is with God? So we're thinking about those encounters and those encounters with God and the impact that they have on our lives. And I, I love some of those things that Claire was saying about the different ways that we encounter God. And I hope you found that really helpful as we were thinking about creating space for that. If you missed that, I'd kind of really encourage you to go back and uh, delve into it a little bit more. Thinking about being intentional about the location and the time and being intentional about the different things that we do in that space in order to effectively not encourage God to come to us. That There isn't an issue about God coming to us. The issue is us saying yes to the invitation. So if you think way back in Genesis, right at the beginning, and Claire did have this verse on the screen as well last week, that in Genesis chapter 3, we read that God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day to meet with us, to meet with us. And God cried out because Adam and Eve had fallen by then and they felt full of shame and they were hiding away. And God cries out, Adam, where, where are you? Where are you? And, and that's an invitation, an invitation for Adam to come out from his place of hiding, to come out from his place of being uh, kind of wanting to be distant from God because he felt embarrassed and shameful and naked and all of that stuff. He didn't feel worthy enough to step in to say yes to that relationship, to that encounter. And that question, where are you, is echoed down through the ages, down through the centuries. So today, God says to you and to me, where are you? Where are you? 
Come, come closer. Come closer. Say yes to my invitation to meet me. So we don't need to kind of work up this sense of encouraging God to come and meet with us. What we do need to do, though, is be in a posture of, uh, of receiving. We need to be in a posture of saying, yes, you are coming looking for me, and here I am. Here I am. And I think sometimes we've made our relationship with God quite a lot of effort and quite a lot of striving and quite a lot, I need to do this and I should do that, especially when it comes to feasting on God's word, reading the Bible. It becomes a a load of oughts and this is what I should be doing and this is what it means to do it right. But effectively, what God invites us to do is to say with an open heart, here I am, here I am. And to me, that feels a lot easier than some of the demands that maybe we place on ourselves. At the heart of that encounter, one of the foundational ways that God encounters us, meets with us, is through his word, is through the Bible. And as soon as I say that, there isn't a normal spread of people, a kind of ripple of awkwardness and guilt and shame, because we know that we should read the Bible more than we do. Unless you're a very unusual group of people, that will be the case. All the data, all the surveys, all our anecdotal experience leads us to know we probably would feel instinctively, I need to engage with the Bible more than I actually do. What I'd love to do today, very simply, very practically, just highlight a few things that I think are going on in our lives and in our thinking pattern and in our responses when we come to think about engaging with the Bible. I've got five traps I think we fall into, and uh, hopefully as we can name those traps, we can put them in their appropriate place and remind ourselves that what God is asking of us is to say, Lord, here I am. I'm willing, I'm open, I want to meet with you, I want to hear you speak, I want to know what you have to uh, say. So let's begin where we sometimes find ourselves, and that's driven with a sense of uh, guilt. And because we're driven with a sense of guilt, I ought to read the Bible more, we fall into the trap of just getting it done. Who knows what I'm talking about? It's a busy morning. I didn't read the Bible yesterday. I jolly well ought to read it today. So I'm just going to get it done. I'm just going to get it done. And I don't think there's anybody here who hasn't at some point adopted that posture. I just got to get through this. uh, And then I'll feel better about myself. And notice what's going on. Why are we, why are we just needing to get it done? We're needing to get it done to satisfy some kind of guilt shame cycle that's going on in our lives. Some kind of, I I don't feel like I'm doing enough, I'm worthy enough. And we've lost all sense of God being a loving father, inviting us into relationship. And we've ended up with a posture that God's some kind of harsh, stern master who's beating his rod over us and going, why haven't you read your Bible yet? Anyone know what I'm talking about? That's a relief. Otherwise, I would be feeling quite exposed at this moment. Just get it done. Because we're trying to satisfy something inside of us. Who ultimately satisfies our desires? God. So getting it done doesn't even work. It doesn't even satisfy our desires ultimately. 
But we fall into that trap, if only I get it done, then somehow I'll feel better about myself. And it's a form of godliness, outward ritual that doesn't have the inner reality. And an outward ritual that doesn't have an inner reality is a bondage. It traps us, it ensnares us, and uh, we walk into that deception. And the enemy loves it. And the enemy loves it. And uh, the, the, the cycle continues because if you didn't get it done on day two, you'd feel even worse on day three and feel even more like you need to get it done. And so the cycle uh, continues. Trap number one that we fall into then is the need just to get it done. The second trap I think that we feel uh, that we fall into is uh, it comes out of the same kind of stable as I've just got to get it done. Often our tradition has been Bible, Bible verse or Bible passage and Bible notes. Yeah? You got your Bible notes. If we're in a rush, which do you skip? Bible. Isn't that interesting? If you're in a rush, maybe I'll just read a teeny, teeny, weeny bit of the Bible and I'll get onto the notes. That'll speed the whole process up. I'll shortchange the whole thing. And sometimes if there's a passage to read and a key verse, well, I'll read the key verse and I'll read the notes. What's the posture that we're adopting in that moment? It's anything but responding to the invitation of a father that wants to meet with us. And it's all about getting through a function. It's nothing to do with, Father, I'd love to hear your life-giving words. Oh, I'm really interested in what so-and-so's got to say about this passage. In fact, if truth be told, you're probably not that interested, but you just need to get it done. And so we get caught up in this cycle of, uh, I've got to get it done, I'm going to push through, I'm actually giving more of my focus and more of my attention to what uh, a, a, a person, man, woman, a writer, a commentator is saying than actually listening into what God has to say. And as a result of those two things, we fall into the trap of, well, I'm not really listening. Actually, I'm not, I'm not really listening. I've lost completely that sense of God saying, come meet with me today. Come be with me today. Listen into my voice today. I have things to say to you today. And my words are life to you today. And we've closed ourselves off. We've shut ourselves down to all of that stuff. And we've just got ourselves caught up in some kind of ritual. And something that started off as really life-giving, and maybe when you first started reading the Bible, you first started having a a time in the day when you particularly met with God, it became life-giving, has descended into a ritual. And that's the story of humanity, that a good gift from God can ultimately ensnare us and entrap us. If we lose sight of who God is and what the gift is really all about. Same is true in the Old Testament, isn't there? Remember the pole with the snakes on? If you look to the pole, you got healed. And then eventually, multiple chapters later, that same pole with the snake on there, bowing down and worshipping it. So something that starts off as a good gift becomes effectively an idol. And our Bible readings can become an idol. Our quiet time can become an idol. I've just got to get it done. I'm just getting through the motions. I'm, I'm, I've lost the whole plot and I'm not really listening. I think one of the, one of the, the, the traps, one of the things that, that, that feeds into this 
And uh, church has been guilty of this. I've been part of the system that's been guilty of this. And I think one of the traps is, is, that, is that we've led people to think perhaps they won't understand it. We won't understand it. Why? Because we, we've always prized the Bible being interpreted it. So you come on a Sunday to listen to me talk about the Bible as if you can't understand it yourself. How weird's that? And we kind of go, oh, well, he spent some time thinking about it, and he's perhaps got a degree in it, or whatever, 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 and blah, 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 blah. But what we've done, if we're not careful, is professionalized the Bible. And given the impression that it's not accessible to us in our ordinary, everyday lives. I don't believe that God gave his word that could only be interpreted by some kind of professional. Do you? Especially, especially going back to the context of Genesis chapter 3, where it's an invitation to meet with him. And that's where the church got itself into all kinds of muddles and raised up priests as some kind of intermediary, lost the plot totally that God wanted to be in relationship with us and created a system by which you needed to access God because he wasn't readily available just to you. And uh, the wonderful thing about... Um, the Tyndale Bible that was written. You've heard me tell the story before of how I was part of the committee at Bristol Baptist College that sold the Tyndale Bible for one million pounds and how it was picked up in a Sainsbury bag and taken on the train to the British Museum. You've heard all of that before. But his heart was to get the Bible back into the hands of ordinary people. It was a reformation of God's word in the belief that God can speak to us directly through his word. Isn't that good news? So you and your Bible is all that you need. And we need to recapture, to regain something of that confidence. Does that mean you will understand everything that you read? No. No. But there are plenty of things. There are plenty of things that you will understand. And I'm fairly confident that when you fully put into practice those things that you do understand, some of the things that you don't quite yet understand will become a little clearer. Because there's a journey, isn't there? Jesus said to the disciples, you you haven't got a clue what I'm on about now, but later you will understand. And I think what we've done is we've created this kind of framework that says, actually, I'm not sure I will understand it. And often you'll hear people say, oh, well, I haven't read it much because, oh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, I just don't. I mean, why start there, for goodness sakes, jumping up and down? As we move into what we do know and what we do understand, there will, in God's purpose, become clarity about what we don't. And more than that, the reason the Holy Spirit was given, amongst other things, was to do what? Was to lead us into all truth. Jesus said, there'll be someone else like me that will help you. And it wasn't going to be a minister or a priest. It was actually the Holy Spirit that was going to help you. And he's readily available to you and me. I think the fifth trap that we fall into, and perhaps this again is part of the whole professionalism stuff, is that we get excited when we learn something new about the Bible and it all stops there. The Bible amazes me because there just isn't any book like it. 
In fact, it's not even a book. It's a whole volume of books written over 1,500 years, uh, uh, people of all kinds of backgrounds, and it, and it threads an incredibly beautiful story all the way through. It's just an extraordinary thing. There's nothing quite like it on the whole of the planet. There's n- nothing even gets close. And so every, every time I see a connection that I haven't seen before, I see the tapestry in a richer, deeper way, I kind of get excited about that. I think, wow, it's amazing. It's amazing that something going on way back there gets understood all the way up here, way back in the Old Testament, towards the end of the New Testament. Hey, that, that's incredible. How does the Bible do that? They didn't even know each other. They didn't even live the same era. They didn't even live on the same continent. And yet there's this wonderful thread going through from beginning to end. How, how, how did that happen? And we can get excited about new discoveries, things that we understand, things that we are learning, and it stops there and it becomes an end in itself. And the professionalism of Scripture has done that. It's created reams and reams of thoughts and ideas that are just reams and reams of thoughts and ideas. And the whole point of the Scriptures is for us to step more fully into relationship with God and from that place of relationship to go and live for him with a sense of responsibility. Isn't that what Adam and Eve were told to do? They were in relationship with God, male and female, created in God's image and told to go into the world and master it, take care of it, tend it, develop it, see it flourish. Relationship into responsibility. And we've lost that if we're not careful because we get caught up in these kind of traps. Any of those resonate with you at all? So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? How do we, how do we just step into, break that cycle, step through that cycle? A few thoughts. Slow down. Slow down. Now, By slowing down, I don't necessarily mean spend more time. So as soon as I said slow down, you went, goodness, you don't know what a rush it is in my house on a Monday morning. I can guess. I can guess. I don't mean necessarily more time. But for a few moments, slow down. That's a posture thing, isn't it? You can rush something, or you can do it with a sense of, dignity and grace and actual seconds and minutes probably doesn't vary very much. Before we had this incident yesterday uh, with the boat off the coast of Felixstowe, which started leaking fuel, we were um, helping Evan and his crew do some sailing training and we put a speaker in his boat playing classical music. And the whole point of playing the classical music was that something that you might, because they're learning to race, and because you're racing, you want to do it quickly. The whole point of the classical music was to go through the motions of tacking and jibing and all the other sailing stuff that you would do, but to do it with a kind of cadence, with a kind of rhythm. Because slow can be the new fast. And actually what they were discovering, as they went through it kind of in a grace-filled way, the tack was smoother and more efficient and probably didn't take any longer than when they were rushing at it. You with me? And I think when we come to the scriptures, we can rush at it. We can rush at it because I've just got to get it done. We can rush at it because I want to get on to what the, that person's saying about it. I want to rushing it because I need my breakfast. We're rushing it because I haven't ironed my shirt, whatever it is, and we're rushing it. What would it look like just for those few minutes? 
just for those five minutes, to slow down. And I think some of those things that Claire was talking about last week, about wonder uh, particularly, and uh, perhaps responding in different ways, just helps that sense of slowing down. Just slow down for a moment. Why am I here? What's the invitation from God that has me sitting in this place with the Bible open in front of me? Just slow down. Tip number two. Shake it up. Shake it up. It's easy to do the same thing as yesterday, which is probably the same thing as the day before, and probably the same thing as the day before that. How about shaking it up? So there are different ways I'm thinking about shaking it up as you come to God's Word. Take a crawl. I'm going to read just a verse or half a verse, not because I'm trying to get it done, but because I want to really zone in on it. Take a crawl. Look at a verse or a word slowly. Maybe one word from God's word is enough for today. Are you with me? Maybe one word is enough. Take it slowly. Go back the next day to the same space. Don't move on so quickly. That's how we grow in depth, isn't it? When anything else we're kind of learning or mastering, we would, we would repeat. We would repeat feedback loop. We would repeat. We would repeat. But in scriptural terms, sometimes we just move on. And if God's starting to speak to me today, and I haven't quite processed all of that, what I actually don't need is for him to speak to me more tomorrow or more the next day because I end up with a whole load of stuff and I've lost a handle on anything God might be saying to me or doing. So maybe... Maybe slow down. Maybe look at the same verse, the same passage all week and see what God's saying to you from it. Maybe take a helicopter ride. So instead of zoning right in to one word, one verse, move out a little bit. Read a few chapters and go, what's going on here? What's going on here? Have you noticed that if we talk about the Gospels, I mean, we, we think we know the Gospels fairly well, don't you? So, anyway, so if, I, if I said about a story in the Gospels, most of you would go, I know that one. Feeding of the 5,000, mm, I know that one. Yeah? Feeding of the six monkeys, you know that one? No, because that's not in it. Um, Jesus walking on water, yeah, mm, I know that. Healing of the blind man, yeah, I think I know that. Healing of the raising of... You see what I mean? We kind of go, yeah, we know. But if I said, do you know what happens before that and what happens after that, I think most of us would go, no, I'm not sure I do. I mean, do you know what happened after the transfiguration, for example? Do you know what happened before it? Do you know what Jesus was talking about before the feeding of the 5,000 and what went on after it? Can you see how actually that's a story there? And what happens to me now affects what happens to me next because life is a journey. And so maybe as we step out from God's word and have a kind of helicopter view of it, we begin to see some things that we haven't seen before. You with me? So shake it up. 
Shake it up. Be brave enough to go off script. Be brave enough that whatever your reading plan is, is not in the end the gospel. Step back. Helicopter view. Take a novel. If you read a novel, you would read it like it was a novel. That makes sense. You wouldn't get a John Grisham book out and spend three weeks on the first sentence. Well, you might, but that would be for different reasons. You would, because you would understand that it's a story. So, so the Gospels, for example, were written as a story. So forget about helicopter for a minute. Go way out. Read the whole thing. It won't take you very long. You'll go, oh my word, I couldn't possibly read all that. The whole of the New Testament is only like about a Sunday newspaper volume. So it's, it's possible to read it fairly quickly, even if you're not that fast at reading. So, you know, perhaps, perhaps read the whole thing once in a while. Just to get a feel for the, for the whole spread, for the journey. Some of the, some of the, the scriptures, of course, are, are like that anyway. They are story. Lots of the Old Testament stuff, chronicles and kings, they're, they're story. So read it as a novel because that's what it is in a sense. Not that it's not true, but it's, is written as a, as a story. Think in terms of story. Perhaps that would be better than, uh, than calling it a, a novel. Engage with it in a different way. Think about the characters. What would it have really been like when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter? What would that have been like to be the dad? To be the mum? What would it have been like to be one of those professional mourners who had egg on their face, metaphorically, by the end of the story? What would it have been like to be with the disciples when Jesus walks into the room and you think, goodness me, what's going to happen next? Where was your faith as Jesus went into Jairus' daughter's room and closed the door? Where was your faith when uh, the, the, the Jairus' daughter get up, got up and, and came out? What, what does it mean to enter into the story? And sometimes that's enough. We don't need to work it all out intellectually and write it all down and although all of that's helpful and important, but just to be in the moment and, and meet with Jesus in that moment with how it makes you feel, how you're responding, what you're thinking about. Enter the scene. Become a character. Would you have had enough faith to say to Jesus, like the centurion, you don't need to come, you've got so much power, you can just say the word. I'm not sure I would have had enough faith. I would have said, I think I need you to come. I want everything from you. Come, Jesus. Your word's not enough. So, so, so what was going on in that person's life that he was able to say to Jesus, just one word will be enough. Enter the scene. Become a character. And there are probably other ways too that you can begin to engage in a different kind of way because you're feasting on God's word. None of those things, none of those things uh, are kind of a silver bullet or a panacea, but they're all different ways of connecting and engaging that help us do what? Help us say, yes, Father, I'm responding to the invitation to meet you here in this. And I want to hear your 
voice. And I guess the final posture, the final tip that, that helps us take the whole thing seriously is to then actually do it. To actually do it. And, and this, this is the simplest and the hardest link of all. To go through a season where you take super seriously that I'm going to take something from this moment and I'm actually going to do something about it that day. And it doesn't matter whether it's big or small. I'm actually going to, what I've felt as I've entered the story, what I've heard as I've, uh, I've sort of pushed in on one or two words, I'm actually going to take that and I'm going to put it into practice today in some way. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to act on it. I'm going to do something. I'm going to, whatever that step is, and just to try and be really purposeful about it. Because it's easy to read the Bible for a whole week and do absolutely nothing. Or is that just me? To press in. Because do you know what happens? When we actually do something, it doesn't matter how small, we actually start a little momentum going. We've actually started to create some movement of being in relationship with God and responding with a sense of responsibility, which helps us move deeper into relationship and respond deeper with responsibility. And we begin to get going. And if you're learning to drive, getting going is the hardest bit, isn't it? Once you've got going, it's easy to change gear. But until you've got going, you've got to concentrate. You've got to get that momentum going. So I really encourage you to think about this week what it might be to actually do something. To do it, whatever it is. The centurion who showed great faith. Father, how can I show just a little bit of faith today? Someone pops into your head. A circumstance, a situation, an opportunity, a prayer that you've been praying. I'm going to pray that prayer today with a little bit more faith. You with me? It's not, it's not, don't need to overcomplicate it. We're not trying to make it into some kind of massive system. But just very simply, Father, I'm just trying to respond to you today. And that momentum will begin to take place, to take shape in our lives. Okay. One of the tools that you know that we use um, is soap. As a way of really helping us, really helping us, Get hold of God's word and do something about it. Scripture, observation. So scripture can be one word, one verse, a whole paragraph, helicopter view, crawl, whatever it might be, entering the character, whatever that might be. Uh, scripture, observation. What, what am I observing, feeling, thinking as a result of it? As a result of that, what am I going to do? Application and prayer. If you go to forward slash soap on the website... There's a whole Bible reading plan that can take you through the whole year, take you through part of the year. It can give you a little snippet for every day, and then if you're feeling confident, a little bit more. So it's got all kinds of levels. So if you're stuck in terms of, I don't know what to read or where to go, then that's a great place just to help get you started. But what I'd like to do, just in these final moments, is for you to get Psalm 1 up in front of you in some way or another on your phone or the Bible that you've brought with you or whatever it is. Uh, and I just want for a few moments 
to help us reflect on the psalm and begin to observe what it's saying. And I think the sweet spot for me in terms of observing is to keep asking questions. So that's what I'd love to do just for a moment is to keep asking some questions about Psalm 1. Did I say Psalm 23? I meant Psalm 1. Did I say Psalm 23? No. I said Psalm 1. Good. Okay. And uh, I now need to find it again. Okay, so you got it there in front of you, and you've paused, you've got this posture of slowing down, you've invited the Holy Spirit because he's our help and he's our guide, and then you just begin to work through whatever you're going to do. Read the whole psalm, read a bit. I mean, it would be easy to stop with the word blessed, wouldn't it? What does it mean to be blessed? Am I blessed? Do I feel blessed? What would, what would make me feel more blessed? What would make me acknowledge the blessing of God on my life? What even is the blessing of God on my life? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Do I do that sometimes? Without even realizing it? Is there something about me that's not aligned to the whole truth? Or stand in the way that sinners take? Have I stood in a place for too long where I've done the same thing, gone around the same loop, the same heartache, the same failure? I want to be blessed, but do I? Can you see what I'm doing? Just asking the questions. The Holy Spirit's your light and your guide. Do I sit in the company of mockers? Do I gossip? Do I talk about people in a way that I wouldn't talk about them if they were there with me in the room? Do I do that? Blessed is the one whose delight. What do I delight in? What brings me alive? What brings me joy? Whose delight is in the law of the Lord... When was the last time I delighted in God's word? Why, 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 did, why did I lose that? Where, where did that go awry for me? Why, why have I lost something that I had? And who meditates on his Lord day and night. Why does that sound so hard for me to do that? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. I'd like that. I'd like that. What would it mean for my life to be planted uh, by streams of water which yields its fruit in season? Hmm. What season am I in? What fruit is my life yielding right now? What is the fruit? I wonder if I ask someone what fruit my life is yielding today, what people around me would say. And whose leaf does not wither. feel like that part of my life is withering. Why, why is that? Whatever they do prospers. 
Hmm. What would God want me to prosper in? Let's pause there for a moment, shall we? And I just invite you, what's, what struck you in those last few minutes? What struck you? As you open up your heart and your life to Jesus, say yes to the Father's invitation. What struck you? Jesus. And once you've understood what's struck you, maybe there are more conversations to have with Father about that, more questions to ask, more openness to listen. Why is it? Why has that struck you today? What's God getting your attention about? And as you begin to understand what God's getting your attention about, so you can begin to understand how to respond. Now, don't always assume that God's getting your attention to do something more, put more effort into something that's wrong. Maybe God's just delighting in something today and wants you to know. Maybe God's just loving something about you today and wants you to hear that. Maybe there is a delight that he wants to share with you. Maybe there is some fruit that he wants you to see that you haven't seen. Maybe he wants you to know where you're prospering and you haven't seen it or acknowledged it for a while. Thank you, Lord, for your work in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. Jesus, why don't you just turn what's your, as appropriate, the thoughts that have been going on, just just with a couple of people around you, just for a, a minute or two, literally very quickly. It's really important, I think. And this is what's important in our in our spaces, whatever works for you, to get it out, to own it, to write it down, to talk about it with someone, to, to take what's kind of can be a bit nebulous in our heads or a bit swirly to, 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 to take it from there and, and take hold of it. And a conversation is just a very quick conversation is an easy way to do that. So just share with someone around you what, what was, what's, what's been going on in your mind and your heart for the last six or seven minutes. There are no right or wrong answers. None at all. So just go for it with a sense of freedom and confidence.
Father, we, we thank you for the ways in which you long to speak to us. I'm praying for us as a Burlington family. That as we open up your word, it would come alive to us. Because above and beyond, we're saying, Father, when you say, where am I? Where are you? We say every day, here I am. Here I am. I want to know you, to be known by you. I want to love you and to be loved by you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together as we sing.